We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. On this episode of Drinks with Binks, author James Andrew Miller, known for his books investigating ESPN, CAA, the U.S. Senate, SNL, is here to chat about his new book, Tinderbox, HBO's ruthless pursuit of new frontiers. We chat about the process of writing a thousand page book about an organization and why people trust him so much, what he's learned about the relationship between Kim Cattrall and Sarah Jessica Parker from Sex and the City and why Kim is not involved in the new series and just like that and he details how one company in particular was very hesitant to be involved that place rhymes with jsbn this is drinks with banks Hey everyone, welcome on into Drinks with Banks. I'm Julie Stewart Banks. As you know, we have had the privilege of having so many different types of people on the show, from Stanley Cup winning head coaches to Olympians and comedians, league commissioners, broadcasters, and more. And today's guest has spent most of his life, much of his life, writing about many of these people and the organizations of which they belong to, but he's also lived so many different lives himself. He is an investigative journalist, writer, author of books about the U.S. Senate, ESPN, CAA, Saturday Night Live, most recently HBO. I'm very excited to welcome on someone I've wanted to talk with for a very long time. He's also a podcast host of Origins, a podcast series on Cadence 13, none other than James Andrew Miller. Jim, great to have you here on the show. Congratulations on the new book, uh, Tinderbox, HBO's Ruthless Pursuit of New Frontiers. So cheers to you. Thank you. Cheers to you. I'm, I'm, I'm going to uh, toast you with an empty glass because I'm in L.A. right now. It's 1030 in the morning and uh, things are such that I haven't started drinking that early, but I uh, appreciate it. I got a bottle in the back that I'm going to open tonight in your honor. We'll celebrate later tonight. But of course, yeah, and I and I have to ask you, I mean, the book right here, I have it behind me, is wonderful. And anyone who's a fan of any of the shows on HBO and, and understanding the inner workings of how the network has gone from conception to where it is now would absolutely love reading this. And for you, Jim, since it's been released and, and published, what has maybe come to fruition about people's response that has surprised you? Well, I think, I mean, it's part of the reason why I do these books, because you have iconic brands and these letters that everybody knows about. And then there's always some 
great stories behind the stories that we hear. And I think that primarily, first of all, people didn't have an idea of how HBO started, and particularly given its precarious infancy. I mean, there were a couple of times when HBO, which was owned then at the time by Time Inc., uh, was basically on the chopping block. And the powers that be at Time Inc. decided, well, they came pretty close to deciding a couple of times to hit the delete key on it. And I think people were surprised by that. And also just how HBO was able to progress through the eras, you know, given the fact that they were starting from such humble origins and how did they survive and what were some of those key inflection points along the way that enabled them to become such an iconic brand. What's something when you were doing this book that sort of stood out or surprised you? Maybe it was about a show or how things worked that you thought, hey, I didn't really know that before. Well, I think, you know, if you really get inside the process of how HBO programmed the network, uh, you know, I think I was trying to talk to people and get them to open up in a way that they hadn't opened up before. And, and to really talk about some of those moments when they almost lost faith in themselves or they were too hubristic or some of the big moments that they consider to be uh, so critical to HBO's success. And a lot of those surprised me. I mean, you know, sometimes it was like just getting a satellite feed of of a boxing match, you know, uh, uh, the thrill in Manila early on in the seventies. I, I mean, I knew that HBO had it and it was obviously a landmark match, but I didn't understand internally, like inside time make how important that was. I also, when you look at shows like Larry Sanders and Oz and first and 10 and dream on in the eighties, I think, you know, early nineties, you, I didn't realize the cascading effect and the import that that had on on the future programming of the network. Okay, so it's almost a thousand pages, and this is classic of your work. It, it goes it goes fast. It goes fast. <laughs> it goes fast. I've read a lot of it. Um, I've also found out things I had never known about things. You know how Jeremy Strong wanted to play Roman in Succession, which shocked me that would be that would be wild if the show had gone that way instead of him playing Kendall Roy of course about the Murdochs and whatnot but in this how do you how do you go from conception of I want to write about HBO to a thousand pages without losing your mind well I'm not gonna say that I did lose my mind um but I will say look I have a working outlet outline at the beginning where you know, I feel like there are certain fundamental parts that I have to carry and cover in the history. And then the great thing is that you do a lot of reporting. I, I did 757 interviews for this book and you learn things along the way. And all of a sudden you realize, wait a second, this wasn't as important as I thought, but hold on. So-and-so just told me something that I'd never heard before, never been reported before. And that opens up a gateway into a whole other round of reporting. And you start to get, you know, you have to go back to people and say, hold on, you never told me about this or that. Let's go deep into that. I feel like, you know, it's a very organic process. And it's also amazing. Look, I, I, I'm really, not to be corny, but I'm really blessed by the cooperation I received on this book. And when you start to talk to, you know, creators like David Chase and David Simon, and Alan Ball and all these people that did 
incredible work for HBO. And then also Julia Louis-Dreyfus and Lena Dunham. And uh, like you said, Jerry Strong, right from the beginning of, of time to the end. I mean, Robert Klein had the first comedy special on HBO. I spoke to him about that, you know, four decades ago. It was incredible. And so I think, you know, part of it is just hearing what people have to say and pivoting as a result to make sure that there's still a narrative structure. Even though there's a lot of moving parts in the book, there's still a story being told. And it's really how the, the network, both on the business side and the creative side, uh, developed over time. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So this book, yeah, this this old little old network, when you wrote this book, in what way did you notice it have an influence on the network? Oh, well, I think, look, for the first year and a half, ESPN didn't participate, which is to say that they wouldn't let me on campus to interview any current employees because they were not particularly anxious to have their history uh you know, unleashed. And I think that eventually they changed their mind, which I'm very grateful for. But I think that, you know, one of the things that John Skipper, the former president, and George Bordenheimer, president before him, and other people, anchors and producers and whatever, I think ESPN does a great job of, they go deep when they're covering like the Dallas Cowboys and, you know, basketball teams and baseball teams all over sports. They do everything they can to make sure that there's no stone unturned. They're not particularly good at letting other people do that to them. And so as a result, I think it was the first time, and I've been told this, where, you know, they had to confront the realities of what they do to, you know, leagues and uh, conferences and individual players and whatever. And I think that, you know, they did say that that had kind of an impact on them. So did any of the people in this book, there's, you know, many of them reach out to you about it? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I still, this sounds weird, but I think I talked to somebody from ESPN, at least one person from ESPN, either who's working there now or who used to work there every day. And uh, I think it's an ongoing, look, their ESPN is straddling two eras right now, because when I wrote the book, they were in nearly 100 million homes 
they're in like 76 million homes right now. Their, their future is less certain than it used to be. And it's a very dynamic, unpredictable future that they're facing. So um, ESPN is the gift that keeps giving. Um, you know, Saturday Night Live is approaching its 50th anniversary and still moving along and marching along. And uh, that continues to be fun. And uh, look, CA is always in the news. They just bought a rival agency, ICM. So all of these um, projects and entities are still very dynamic. Yeah, and it seems as though from that, even at least here, there could be a part de to ESPN, the book. Yes, that has uh, that has been mentioned. Volume two, yes, those guys don't have all the fun. Um, <laughs> so we'll see about that. We have a network here, Fubo TV. I'm one of the original employees um, of Fubo Sports Network. If what should I be, I guess, keeping track of? before you do a book on inevitably the rise and growth and probably fall and then growth again. And you know, all of this, this drama um, of Fubo TV someday. Look, we're, we're living in very interesting times. Sometimes um, things happen and then five or six years later, people write, you know, we didn't realize it at the time, but look at all that was going on back then. Well, we don't need that perspective now. We know that this is an incredibly disruptive time. There are very few dependent variables. There are a lot of independent variables. Look at what happened to Netflix last week. Um, mm -hmm. You know, a lot of things that seem certain uh, may not be as certain as people thought. And so with regard to Fubo, I think, you know, the key question is, uh, what is going to happen in the industry, larger industry, in terms of consolidation? And I know that that, you know, the success of Fubo has uh, interested, you know, potential suitors out there. And I think that one of the things that's going to happen over the next probably year and a half to two and a half years is there's going to be more consolidation. And there's going to be, uh, I think, a, a, a sense of what is really working and what isn't and people doubling down on those entities and maybe those entities become part of larger entities, but I think that it's going to be interesting. Um, at some point, because content is so prized and because content is so essential, right? I mean, look, Discovery just bought uh, AT&T, uh, yes, Tom Warner, yeah. and you know, the big thing right away is where's the content going to come from? Where's that intellectual property going to come from? Everybody's in a, in a desperate race to, for that to happen. And as a result, one of the ways in which you can achieve that is either by developing it internally and organically or obviously going out and buying something. So mm -hmm. I think, you know, just in terms of Fubo, I think the, the real interesting part of it, aside from, you know, the good work that you guys do every day is like, who's our owner going to be? Who, you know, where are we? Are we going to be on our own? Are we going to be you know, gobbled up by somebody bigger. And if we are, are is the brand going to be able to still exist? Um, you know, is the way that we've been doing business uh, going to still be existing? Or is somebody going to come in and, uh, you know, bring a whole new world order to our, to, to the entity? So I think that's going to be really interesting for you guys. And, and clearly, you know, all those situations are, are born out of success. So, you know, you should feel really good about it. 
Well, we can track back to this interview someday when you do do the deep dive on our network and, and whatever happens <laughs> along the way. Um, in terms of Tinderbox, we'll go back to your book that you just released. What what kind of maybe, I love, I'm just gonna just showcase them all on Vanna White over here. What kind of um, backlash have you had from this? Well, I mean, look, HBO has been incredibly gracious about it. Uh, I've heard from a lot of people and, you know, it's always nice when somebody says, I've been here 25 years and I learned a lot in the book. That's that's kind of that's kind of fun. Uh, I think that, you know, look, there's a Rashomon quality to these books, particularly given the fact that sometimes you're talking about things that happened 30, 40 years ago. And some people may say, oh, I don't remember that or I don't remember him being in the room or or whatever. But I think for the most part, it's been very I've, I've been very pleased. I mean. There's always one or two outliers where somebody, particularly somebody who's incredibly narcissistic, um, says, you know, they didn't get all the attention and credit that they deserve. And by the way, sometimes that may be true. I have to triage, so it can't, it's not an autobi, it's not a biography of one particular person. So sometimes I, I try and be very patient with their take on it in terms of, yes, I did leave that out, or yes, I did leave that out. You can't do everything. Um, but for the most part, look, there's a lot of really smart, talented people. I, I have a tendency sometimes to, you know, you look at what doesn't work and you're, you follow your Twitter feed or you read the papers every day. And this is imploding or this got screwed up or this is messed up. And, you know, you sometimes lose sight, not to, not to be corny, but you sometimes lose sight of the fact that there still are a lot of really, really smart, talented people who have spent, you know, 80 hours, 100 hours a week working at their jobs, trying to make it a better place. And uh, I think there's something uplifting after getting done. Sometimes there were there were days when I had three or four days, three or four interviews in one day. And there's something uplifting about talking to really smart people and talking about, you know, not only their successes, but sometimes their failures and what they learn from their mistakes. One of my favorite shows growing up, I guess I was a little young watching it, but Sex and the City, an HBO show, and Kim Cattrall and Sarah Jessica Parker and sort of the dynamic between them. I know you've done the origins podcast on them as well. Having done as much research on this show as you have, and all my all my girlfriends are like, why is, you know, Kim Cattrall not in the, and just like that, and what's the relationship like? From so much research you've done, how would you describe what has happened between the two of them? I think the way that I decided to look at it is, it's not that Kim didn't, you know, I mean, Kim didn't want to do Sex and the City 3, the movie. She's not in the new version, the updated version, and just like that. But I think the way that I decided to look at it is it's more of a miracle that they did as much as they all did together, rather than looking at what they haven't done. Because I think that there was a bond between Kristen, Cynthia, and SJ, uh, Sarah Jessica, that um, was different than the bond that they had all amongst the four of them. Remember, Kim was, um, you know, a bit older and maybe that played into it. Uh, I'm not sure, but I think that, you know, the, the fact is that they did do a lot of great work together. And I, I think Kim was 
indispensable to the success of the show. And I understand why they wanted to move forward, even if she was going to be part of and just like that. But I think we have to realize, look, here's the thing. And this happens a lot when when you do like there's a pilot script. Right. And everybody reads the script and it gets cast. And sometimes people don't know each other. And then it gets then it gets ordered to pilot. And then all of a sudden it gets ordered to series. And basically at that point, you guys are all stuck together. It's not like even if you're, you know, it's not like you're supposed to be best friends or you were best friends before. Sometimes you barely knew the person. And also what happens is when a show like Sex and the City goes from being, you know, something that was just started from like, you know, basically ground zero to being a cultural icon you know, a strong firmament in the zeitgeist, a lot of shit happens and people become famous and people become rich and people have lots of people around them telling them what they should be doing. And sometimes, you know, it goes into a different kind of an ego state and there's all sorts of problems and creative issues and everything else. So I think it's always a miracle when these shows you know, everybody stays together and they don't blow up after four or five, six, seven years. And I think that that's, you know, probably this, at least for me, the smartest way to look at it was Michael Patrick King and before him, Darren Starr and the people at HBO, including the great Angela Tarantino, who ran PR for them. Uh, I think they did a masterful job of throughout the years, making sure that, you know, people maybe didn't understand all that was going on um, beneath the surface, but that it was still a very successful show. Right, yeah, and, and the the one right now is not having that kind of response from people. Have you seen it, just as a quick offside, the new? Uh, I, I have seen, I have, I have seen it. Look, it's really hard. It's really hard to come back. And I think it's harder for a show about women with women because so, they're they're under a microscope in terms of, you know, I mean, I've seen some of the vile, misogynistic comments on social media about, you know, how they've their looks have changed and thing. I, I think that's really hard. And I don't think that would happen with a show about four guys. I mean, if you were to do a, you know, reboot of Entourage right now, I don't think those guys would be under the microscope the way these women have been. And um you know, again, uh, my hat's off to them because it takes a lot of gumption to get out there and do that. Before we wrap things up, um, obviously won't ask you about what you're looking to do in the future, but I am curious about what are the topics, the organizations, the things that speak to you? Like, what is the themes? Like when you, when you, you see something like, I have to write a book on that. What does it have to involve? I think there's probably two things. I mean, first of all, like I date a lot of projects before that I marry them because it's just, you have to love something or you have to be completely absorbed by it to spend three, three and a half years living it and breathing it. Um, but I think there's two elements. One is I, I think that there has to be kind of a, a history that is worth telling that has, you know, those shoots and ladders that I talked about before that has, you know, many surprises, including that maybe it wasn't, you know, well-written about at the time, or I'm able to uncover new things to really add to, to the book. And, and, and the second thing is I like, I like projects um, where it kind of speaks to the present 
and also to the future. Because one of the things, like I was saying before about SNL, ESPN, CA, and HBOs, these are brands that are not going away. And these are brands that have, you know, high points and low points and challenges and there nothing kind of stays the same. And I feel like that's very dramatic and very interesting to report on and to document. You know, uh, the history of SNL, uh, I mean, I can't tell you how many times people said, oh, dead from New York, Saturday Night Live, you know, uh, it's because it reads like an EKG. Um, but they always come back. And, you know, people had written HBO over several years ago, and clearly that's not the case. So I want to be able to capture all those uh, machinations to make sure that, you know, it's kind of a riveting story along the way. Jim, um, cheers to you. Thank you so much for drinking and banking with us here today. Where can everyone find this book and also all of the other work that, that you are involved in? Uh, you know, I think, uh, I mean, I try and spend a lot of time at independent bookstores and local bookstores. I was just at one yesterday signing books. Um, but the, uh, but Amazon has it and Barnes and Noble and every place else that you get your books and all four are still in print. And I'm, I'm really happy about that. So thanks so much for having me, Julie. I appreciate it much. Of course. It's been a pleasure and everyone. Cheers with an empty glass. Yes. Cheers. Uh, you can follow Jim at Jim Miller on Twitter and you can find this book, as you mentioned, in local bookstores and online on Amazon. You can find more of our content at Fubo Sports on YouTube, all of our interviews, as well as all of our social content on Twitter and Instagram. And until next time, bottoms up, bitches. I don't know, this is the wine. <laughs> this isn't the fake one. There you go.